You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Spencer Shannon. He is the author of Entrepreneurs. Uh, I had to practice saying that a few times. <laughs> and he works with entrepreneurs and helping them understand how to use their numbers to really understand their business, understand how they're going to grow, understand how they can be more successful, where they can be more successful. I just I find this is a fascinating conversation because I find most entrepreneurs, if not being scared of numbers, or at least you know, don't like talking about numbers. And in fact, it can be an amazing way to really kind of understand what's happening in your business. And we're going to talk to Spencer about that. We're talking about his journey and how he works with entrepreneurs to help them build better, stronger businesses using that. So with that, Spencer, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah. So before we dig into you know understanding your numbers, let's get to know you a little bit and your journey. Give us the background. How did you get into this? How do you get into writing the book? What's the story? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it has to do with my early days when I was studying to be a CPA. I mean, at the time it was the CA program. Now it's the CPA program. And I hated doing accounting. I really did. <laughs> um, it was all, I, I actually, if the, the first line of the book is I drove to work nauseous every day when I was studying and doing my articling for, with an accounting firm. And so I did, you know, I, I don't quit very well. So I dug in and I knew having a degree would be a good thing or that particular degree. So I stuck yeah. it out and I got my my designation. Then I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? I don't love this. And I, I went into investment banking for a year and I was equally nauseous and, you know, working 7 a.m. <laughs> to 2 a.m. And, you know, it'd be like a, one of the directors would walk in on Friday at five and be like, hey, can you update the forestry comps? Meaning look at all and Remember, this is 20 years ago. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's not like it is where you can just look it up online. We were the ones literally di- going to paper copies of, of financial statements Jeez. and data entering them into Excel and then running a comparative analysis to understand why things are valued a certain way. They'd be like, can you do that for Monday? I'm like, yeah, that's literally 20 hours worth of work and it's Friday yeah. at five. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have that for Monday. And which they may or may not use. So again, I, that wasn't my thing. And I always kind of knew I would be in business somehow, didn't know how, didn't know why. And through a, a bit of a longer story, which we don't really have time uh, for today, I, I met who was then going to be my business partner. And we decided we were going to go out and buy a business together. He'd, he'd been in operating businesses his whole life. I'd never been in an operating business, but I understood the accounting, I understood the finance, and we ended up buying the manufacturing business. We, as weird as this sounds, we made skincare products, sunscreen, lip balm, and hand sanitizer, which if I was still in that business, I'd be <laughs> run off my feet at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but we, funnily enough, we started that during SARS, and then we had another big spike yeah. during H1N1, and yeah. you know, with COVID now, we, we would be going crazy. Yeah. Um, and I 
evolved that business. We, we were partners for 12 years together, 15 years, something like that. Grew it from, I think we were 20 people or something to about 60 people over the course of that time. Learned a lot of interesting, challenging lessons about the challenges of manufacturing businesses. And concurrently, my business partner owned a construction business, which built high-end custom homes in Vancouver, where we live. Mm-hmm. And he invited me into that business when his partner retired. So I ended up becoming his partner in that with the intention of, you know, I was more the operations, the systems, the process, and we were going to process his way out of the business so we could look for another business to buy. Mm-hmm. And Meanwhile, at the same time, my dad had a business in Washington State, which was a cold storage business uh, with three facilities, uh, refrigerated warehousing, and his partner retired and I joined my dad as a partner in that business. So all of a sudden, kind of in my early mid 30s, there I was, I had these three businesses somewhere, I think about 250 employees. And then 2008 happened. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the real estate, the, the cold storage business is a real estate backed business. And so yeah. being in a real estate business post 2008 was a challenge. Uh, so we ended up selling that business to a private equity firm that was rolling up the cold storage space. Uh, my partner and I, you know, we had, I mean, w- that was a lot of sleepless nights, like probably the hardest time of my life. And not only did we have, 2008, we had the wrong management teams because we'd extracted ourselves from our businesses with the intention of buying other businesses. So we had the wrong management teams at the wrong time, bit of a tidal wave. So my partner dove back into the construction business. I dove back into the manufacturing business. Um, We ended up very amicably parting ways. We're still friends today. It's just we had different intentions and goals at the time. And then ultimately, I decided I was not in love with the manufacturing business. In fact, quite the opposite. I was I was quite miserable owning it. It wasn't aligned with my values. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And exiting that, selling to a business uh, on the other side of the country who basically folded our business into theirs and found myself, um, I don't know, this was seven years ago now going, what am I going to do with my life? And having an opportunity to really rediscover my path Mm -hmm. and deciding to make it very much more intentional than just here's what happens and somebody's partner retires and replacing (laughs) the partner. And I remember I was sitting at an event and Alan Miltz was speaking. And of course, he was one of the contributors to the cash section of Scaling Up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a brilliant guy and really great stuff. And at the same time, there was a lot of entrepreneurs in the room whose books were such a mess, they couldn't even use what he yeah. was offering. Yeah. And it occurred to me, it's like, and, and there was a guy at my one at the table who looked over at me after the talk and said, I know you're kind of just exited your business. Can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. And it was just that light bulb moment. I'm like, well, I speak entrepreneur. I speak accounting. Those are different languages. I know how to actually bridge that gap. And, you know, just by fluke, quite frankly, quite fluke, that by fluke, that became the start of my current business, Shift Financial Insights, which is really about making accounting not suck for entrepreneurs because I know how much it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So there's my yeah. long winded background story as to how I got to what I'm doing today. Well, and it's interesting because it's, you know, I find so many, you know, kind of thought leaders, experts, it's kind of this confluence of, well, you know, I was an entrepreneur, I know this domain, I can kind of bridge this gap, I'm kind of the Rosetta Stone of, you know, of this domain, and that becomes the unique kind of niche or the value proposition is being able to bring those together in a way that no one else really can. And you don't even notice that along the way while those skills are being acquired. Those are just, you know, you maybe heads down and even in my case, not enjoying kind of the one side of it until you realize how to put the piece that actually makes it cool and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and worthwhile. Yeah, no, exactly. And tell me, I mean, I, the one thing I have certainly noticed is that most, most entrepreneurs, most business people are really, but, but you know, early stage companies, entrepreneurs get in this, this situation where their books or their, the financial aspect of their company is set up primarily for tax reporting and, and improving their tax position, so we say. <laughs> If you're and, lucky, and, if you're doing but, well, that you've got that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And why why is that a problem? I mean, talk to us a little bit about why that situation shows up and why that ends up being a problem when it comes to you know really starting to use your numbers more strategically. Yeah, I mean, I think that the why that happens is really interesting. And, and I always like to use a construction site as an example, not because I used to be a partner in one. But if you think about building a house, you're going to go to a general contractor. And that general contractor is going to manage the whole project and hire a bunch of sub-trades who are specialists in different areas. And then, of course, they'll also likely be, depending on how big the project is, a couple laborers on site who, you know, they're the ones who are hauling the concrete and the lumber, they're digging ditches, they're sweeping up at the end of the day. And that's like the stack that you need to build a house effectively. Mm -hmm. And when you think about an accounting department, it's actually very similar. You know, your CFO is your general contractor, your controller is your sub-trades with specialty skills. And then your laborers are your bookkeepers. And that's not a dig at bookkeepers. It's just that's, you know, if you if you look at the equivalency, that's about what it is. And so for a lot of businesses, you know, until you're in the several million dollars generally of revenue, generally can't afford more than a bookkeeper. And if you're even smaller than that, you maybe have a part-time bookkeeper that you're, you know, comes in a day a week or whatever. And so if your bookkeeper is running your entire accounting department, that's very similar to having a laborer build you an entire house. They may understand a bit of wiring. They may understand a bit of framing. They may understand a bit of plumbing, but you would never hire a laborer to build you a house. And so when you're hiring a bookkeeper, it's actually the same thing. So there's some great bookkeepers out there. That's not a dig at bookkeepers, but chances are they don't have the skills to look at the accounting department for all of your needs. So that's why we as entrepreneurs often get so stuck and being like frustrated, even embarrassed about the state of the books. And so if it's for tax purposes, if people are doing it just for taxes, you need to do that. That's because you have to. But they're missing out on that huge element of actually using this to make massive strategic decisions to literally game change your life. Like imagine if you could understand exactly where you're making money, exactly where you're not making money. But instead of having to go through these reports you don't understand it's quick intuitive and simple that's what we're talking about is is having that power and not just sort of having these people in the corner or or out of sight out of mind just doing stuff that you believe you have to have it turns it from a source of pain to a source of power i've seen it over and over again yeah let's talk about the the things you can assuming that you've got your book set up right and we can talk about Mm -hmm. how to set up your book separately but assuming you've got your book set up right for service-based companies what are some of the questions you can start to develop better answers to or kind of analysis you can do if you really capture the sort of the financial data and the and sort of the elements around the business from a financial point of view what are some of the things you can actually start to understand about your business yeah assuming you have your books right is a first of all before i answer that yeah. question i don't want to skip <laughs> over <caveat>. that because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know i've seen so many books where the entrepreneur thinks it's good and it's it's not that it's a disaster But they have to be set up in a way in order to extract the data to do the second part of your question, which is how do I use it? So setting, getting the foundation set up, which I'm talking about the horrible things like the chart of accounts and the systems and process and that kind of stuff, which 
even a lot of accountants don't like dealing with, but mm-hmm. that's the part. So, you know, first of all, making sure and, and, and getting some expert advice just to know, like, is this set up in a way where I can extract the data? So, yeah. Well, and actually, let me say, because I think, I think that's where, I mean, in my experience, you know, people like yourself, people who have been the entrepreneur, but also understand accounting, that's where the magic is because mm-hmm. an accountant doesn't know enough about the business mm-hmm. to actually, you know, structure things, understand, well, what is, what is my, uh, you know, profitability per person? What do I, how do I want right. to track the time and how do I right. want to add, assign that time to different projects and different clients? You know, they don't know enough about the mechanics of the business to do that well. And the flip side is business people without any accounting understanding, mm-hmm. they know about the business, but they don't understand how to set up the chart, how to yeah. set up the reporting of that stuff so that I can actually do the analysis. So, so I, you are this unique kind of yeah. the, it's that, uh, football shape. Of the Venn diagram, right? <laughs> that right. center overlap, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is the is where the magic happens. It, exactly. I mean, it's two totally skill sets and two different paths to understand that. Like, accountants aren't trained to be an entrepreneur. No more than entrepreneurs are trained to be an accountant. Like, it's just a yeah. different world. So let's just parking lot that and let's jump through. Let's assume all that has been set up. So exactly, yeah. I like to look at it a few ways, and it can be more simple than most people think. And this is the whole crux of the message I'm hoping to deliver to the world to help entrepreneurs, is that it can be more simple than than we think. So number one, we want to get in, and this can take two minutes or less, a high-level snapshot of the business. And I don't want to get too into the weeds here. I just want to give one sort of accounting thing. So I don't care how big or small the business is. I don't care what industry. I don't care what your service business is. I don't care whether you have multiple lines of business. We all have five elements of our of our profit statement, our income statement. We've got sales, of course, our cost of goods, the cost to deliver, which A minus B equals your gross contribution, your gross profit, minus your operating expenses equals your net profit. Now, there's only three ways you can influence your business. Increasing sales, decreasing your cost of goods or holding it steady as your sales grow or decreasing your operating costs or holding that steady as your sales grow. Those are the only three things you can do. So starting off, and and I do everything with a lot of visual uh, data visualization, so charts. So, you know, if you imagine just a classic line chart where you can look at what is my sales this year? What is my sales last year? What is my budget sales? I won't even talk about the importance of budgeting. I'm going to assume everybody's got a budget, which I know Mm -hmm. they don't. (laughs) So if you look at that chart, both on a monthly basis and then another one tracking how you're doing in aggregate for the year, otherwise known as year to date, you can see instantly how am I doing without having to read complex charts. So we look at sales, we look at your gross margin, and we look at operating expenses in one page of charts, and you will know at a high level how is the business overall from a profitability doing? And the reason I like starting there because it's priming to get to the deeper diving numbers. So if you look at it and say, okay, well, my gross margin doesn't look good. Okay, now what's going on? Then we start to go and we can go one level deeper, one level deeper. So the next few things to look at is, okay, so let's look at maybe the biggest expense items. And in service-based businesses, it's 99% of the time, it's going to be labor. There's occasionally, like if you're a marketing agency that buys a lot of media, your media buys might be more cost than your labor. But generally, in almost every service-based business, it's going to be labor. So let's look at a chart of your labor. How is that performing over time? Let's look at labor as a percentage of sales. Are we are we being effective? at So and whatever your business is, it just now it becomes what's the elements of your business that are most important. And we can start looking at that. And so now you've got the high level, 
Now you go one level deeper to look at specific items, like your biggest items or the ones that are the most volatile or the ones that you lose sleep about. Whatever speaks to you about your business, whatever you think are the important elements of the business, honestly, sticking it on a simple chart where you can intuitively in two seconds, like I've seen charts where salaries one month goes up by 50% and then the next month down. And I ask like, is something going on with your salary? No. Oh, so what you're telling me is your bookkeeper's making a mistake. Okay, so those charts, not only do they help you understand your business, they help you ask questions. What's yeah. going on? And all, all, you know, there's lots of examples of charts that I can, I can give you links to. And then the third piece. So now, now what we've done, we've gone high level. We've gone one level deeper to understand kind of what aspects of the financials might look funny. Then we actually get into some analysis. And because your listeners are serving based if there's only one analysis they do this is the one i would offer and it's a it's a pareto analysis which is really a rank order of your and whether you measure yourself by customers or by jobs depending on what type of service business you are but rank ordering them based on gross profit which means this is where having your book set up properly is critical and allocating costs is critical so you have to have your team doing that but if I can see this is my most profitable job or customer, my second most, my third most, my fourth most, down to the bottom, if you have 30, 40, 50 jobs a month or customers a month, now the reason you do that, you can start to see, okay, where do I make my money? What is similar between these customers that bunch near the top versus the customers that bunch near the bottom where I'm not making money? And how can I now drive my marketing efforts, my sales efforts to get more of those that are at the top of the list and less at the bottom of the list? Because if you have that without that, and you're just shotgunning, I almost guarantee most service-based businesses, the 80-20 rule applies, they're gonna be making 80% of their money in the top 20% of their clients. And if you don't know who those are, there's no way you can go after more of those. It's funny, you know, I do this analysis when we talk about strategy and figuring out where where are we going to position ourselves, you know, I go through this analysis as a customer. So we do that and then I but I had I had two pieces to it. Yeah. One is who's a pleasure to serve? Because yes. <laughs> right? I want I want to figure out profitability is important, but also like who do I actually want to work with? <laughs> I mean, am I allowed to say that's the no assholes rule like <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's I, I mean, I, yeah. And it's funny how I think it's every time. I mean, you have to say 99% of the time because there's probably a case out there that I can think of it didn't happen. But every time we do that rank order mm-hmm. and two things happen. One is the people who sold the project have a completely different view of, from the people who delivered the project, right? So all totally. the people that sold the project look at, well, what was the revenue on it, Yeah. right? The finance people look at the profit, right? Because yeah. they know where they made the money. And the delivery people know who the hell they want to work with, right? Who do, right. Who, who do they want to pick up the phone and who do they want to select to go to voicemail? And, and, point, yeah. and there, that discussion, you get those people in the room and you do this thing, and everyone's just like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because they never talked. They never actually sat down to do this. And you can't do that without this kind of data. Yeah. And, and I'm curious because you said there was two things you add. One, who's a pleasure to serve? What's your second one? Well, so the other one is, is who's a promoter? So the other oh, one I yeah, want to yeah, know yeah. is who either directly or indirectly helps you get more of right. those types of people, right? They either right. do referrals or by having them as a client lets you sell to those other people more easily, right? So they, they either oh. buy reputation or they give yeah. you credibility in some sense. I'll, and for I'll me, that's the trifecta. Yeah, no, that, I love those other two elements. And I'll give you actually a really live example of that. So uh, we had a client we took on, it was less than a year ago. And 
when we, you know, it takes a couple months to get everything ship shape so that we can actually deliver this information, right? We got to tidy mm-hmm. everything up. But when we actually did this, this Pareto analysis report form for the first time, you know, I kind of did my, my usual speech. I'm like, Hey, you know, how do you get more of these clients and less of those clients? And, and he's like, actually, we want more of these ones. And he, and he inherently did exactly what you're talking about. Actually, their most profitable client was such a problematic client. Oh. That yeah. we don't want more of those, but we want more of number two, three, four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. Less of number 18, 19, 20, 21, and less of number one. And he organically did that in his head. And I love how you broke that out into those two other metrics. And that, that's great. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I have them score it. And then we we kind of rise the cream to the top and figure out. The other one that I find, and I'm, I'm sure you find this, is we look at the other side of that chart. And you, you take that bottom 5%, 10%. And we say, what if we just fire those clients today? What would happen? <laughs> right? I asked this question. They literally looked at the board. And there's this realization, <laughs> there's this epiphany that they would be like, we would actually be more profitable, wouldn't our we? Lives would be, and our lives would be better. <laughs> would be be better. You know, another live example of this was as a different marketing agency. The first one I mentioned was a marketing agency. This, this other example, a different marketing agency I'm talking about, we did that same thing. And we actually recognized that of the, they did 97 jobs. 57 of them, if they eliminated those, which they did, represented 8% of their revenue. So like rough, rough, 60% of their clients represented 8% of their revenue. And by focusing on the right people, they replaced all of that revenue with two and a half. So call it three new jobs that they sold. Mm -hmm. And they got more time in their business. They're not scrambling. Like, sure, they were bigger jobs. There was more work to deliver from the marketing agency perspective. But they don't, you know, like every job you have, you have to find, you have to quote, you have to win, you have to staff, you have to manage. And, you know, who calls you and complains? Your big customers or your small customers? Yeah, exactly. Your small well, customers. And, and, and you're well, wondering, and, why the hell am I on the phone with my smallest customer that's exactly. not making me any money? Exactly. And the cost of serving them is the same. I mean, it, not only that you, you've got increased cost of service and you've got decreased, I mean, much less profit or much less revenue to allocate that over. So sure. it's a, it's a double, double lose. The one thing I don't want to lose sight of in that those bottom customers, when we rank order by profitability, sometimes there are also hidden gems in there. And it's like, okay, who's mm-hmm. actually a high margin client that's at the bottom of the list? but they're just small, right? So we only made a thousand bucks on this one, but they were actually a 40 margin. So how do we actually go out and like, is there more business to be had for that customer to actually bring them up the list? And maybe it's not necessarily firing them. Maybe it's a price increase. Maybe it's a new minimum. So instead of our minimum job and obviously picking numbers out of the air being, being five grand, we're going to make our new minimum 12 grand. And so all of those people that fall below the line either come up to it or leave. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe you can actually bring a bunch of those up and it's like, you know, by upselling, cross-selling, whatever you need to do, you can actually find some real gems in those smaller clients. But generally speaking, if you focus on the bigger ones, it's game-changingly positive. Yeah, I agree. And I've certainly seen that. Like if we just, a price increase will do two things, I find. One one is it will take some of those clients and actually make them profitable or more profitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that it ends up taking them off the list, right? They, they yeah. self-select out if, if you go from, yeah, from a, from a five to a 12, you know, minimum monthly fee. The other one is I find you can sometimes take that bottom, some portion of those bottom segments and say, you know what, we just can't service them in the same way. Can we get them onto a self-service? Like, okay, look, you're going to, you're not going to call us for all your problems. You're going to go to this website or you're going to have a, we're going to give you a playbook or a knowledge base or something, or, you know, you, you have to go through this service. You know, you, we're not, by decreasing the level of service, 
we can actually make them profitable because they're not only chewing up all of our resources. Yeah, sure. Productize it a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, exactly. What, but, I'm, but, I'm curious. So all of this is very, uh, you know, kind of logical and technical. What do you find as being kind of sort of the mindset challenges when you start working with entrepreneurs, with owners, CEOs around this process? Do you find that or there are kind of challenges about either hangups they have around this or assumptions or beliefs or fears, aversions to, to numbers? I mean, I, what? Because yeah. I mean, all this, it's like, oh, well, of course. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. logically it makes sense, but but yet people don't do it. So yeah. what, what have you noticed or what's your, what's your kind of findings? There's a couple things. Number one is, having been burned a bunch of times, you know, like I've had bookkeeper after bookkeeper after bookkeeper, and it's always a mess. And I hate it. So I don't dive in. So, you know, there's a lot of I've been burned. And so the trust factor in terms of getting there is very low. Mm -hmm. Um, You can only get kicked in the head so many times before you run away from the horse, right? (laughs) And then so that's one. And then the other is I just I kind of describe it like flying, where you know, if you've only ever flown in the back of the plane, you know, it kind of sucks. And it's cramped. And I'm six feet tall. So it's it tends Mm -hmm. to be cramped, not a lot of room. But you deal with it because that's what you got to do. And then one time you get bumped into first class on an overseas flight and you're like in this lie flat seat. You've got, you know, better food. You've mm-hmm. got amenities like you've got room. You don't feel great. It's actually kind of a, a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. And then you go back into the back of the plane and then you realize how cramped and like <laughs> uncomfortable it is. And the seats suck and they don't actually recline and so until you've been in business or first class, you don't get the difference. Like you may have peeked behind the curtain once that they close yeah. during flight. And so same thing, like if you don't, like so many entrepreneurs don't get how impactful this is. Like it's literally can change your entire course of how you operate your business. And so it's the not understanding that this could be one of the most freeing things you do. Yes, you still have to get your sales right. Yes, you still have to execute properly. Yes, you still have to get your marketing proper. Like there's lots of things you have to get right. This one's often neglected because they don't believe that it's the game changer in the business. I think that that's the biggest hang up. And that's, you know, as I sell my services, that's the biggest obstacle we have to overcome. And by actually showing somebody with their own information how it can be simple, it can be easy, you don't have to worry about it, it comes off your plate, and it's now a superpower, that's the hang-up, I think, that happens. Yeah, yeah. When, and and when, when should you do this? I mean, is this something uh, you do once you hit a couple million in revenue? Is this something when you're going to do a major kind of strategy review? Yeah. I mean, when, when do you put these things in place? Well, every month. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kind of, it was somewhat of a loaded question. But <laughs> I mean, they're, they're interesting questions when to start. So, yeah. you know, as a solopreneur, um, there's good information. But I mean, it's kind of like anything you know, if you want to pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys, you know, like there is some investment in making this work. Now, I fundamentally believe that the right investment, you're going to multiply your investment multiple times, you know, Mm -hmm. but so as a solopreneur, just having good books, and if you can just get to the point of understanding those levers, we talked about your sales, your your cost of goods and your your expenses, if you can understand where you're making your money so you don't need it to be deep and sophisticated my experience is typically and it depends of course on the business some businesses are simple some are more complex but there's kind of this magic thing that happens over a million you know it's the pain really starts to happen around a half a million in revenue but Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur is still touching everything that they can 
even if they're not financially minded, manage through the pain of not having their accounting right. But you know, when you hit one and a half, two, two and a half for sure, it's like, I can't run my business. Like I'm not getting, you know, yeah. I've actually heard these words. I'm not getting the information I need to run my business. I don't know what information I need. I just yeah. know I'm not getting it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's when the pain really starts to be big and the implications of making bad strategic decisions because you don't have good numbers, that starts to become exponentially big because one mistake is the difference between success and failure. And then it just multiplies from there. So that's sort of the, the, the entrepreneurial pain cycle that I've noticed. So, you know, you can kind of manage through, but man, there's so much. And I'm not, we're obviously not the only outsourced accounting solution out there. There's outsourced bookkeepers, which are really cost effective. You're probably not going to be getting a lot of insight. And then as you go up the chain, you can really start asking and demanding more information. I and mean, that's what my book is about is how to empower entrepreneurs how to confidently direct their accounting teams to get them the information they need in a format that's simple, intuitive, that's the language of entrepreneurship. So that's where the bridging the gap happens, but definitely a million plus like, oh man, it's so critical. Yeah. And there's a little bit of the sooner the better. I mean, there's there's always a balance in that, like in the beginning of the company, you just got to get money. Right? Like, mm-hmm. Go, go chase, chase sales, like get traction. Sure. But sure. at some point, the sooner you do this, the easier it becomes. Sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about this idea of hygiene. I, I love in your book, you talk about the, the discipline right. of hygiene. Like what are some of the things, assuming you've got this in place, what are the things you need to do on a regular basis to really, you know, make sure you've got the right data coming in, that you're using mm-hmm. the data effectively, that you're monitoring and, and using it as a tool to really understand what's happening in your business. Yeah, I might answer it a little bit differently than you're expecting. So just to define how I use the term hygiene versus mm-hmm. insights, you know, hygiene is the day-to-day accounting stuff, the receivables, payables, payroll, all of the stuff that you probably hate about your business or the accounting part of your business. That's the hygiene. It includes your financial statements. And kind of what we've been talking about before is I just believe hygiene is not for you. Hygiene isn't for the entrepreneur. Hygiene is for nerds like me, accountants, bankers, lawyers, who actually go in and do technical analysis on a business if you ever want to buy or sell your business. It's the insights that we've been talking about. It's how do you take that and put it in a format that's super easy and intuitive. So getting the hygiene right is critical because, and, and well, it's critical for four reasons. If you ever want to borrow money, you've got to get your hygiene right because your bankers are going to look at it. If you ever want to sell your business, your buyers, bankers, and lawyers will be looking at your accounting hygiene. If you ever get audited by a tax authority, they're going to dive into your hygiene and they're going to be wearing a rubber glove when they do it. So it's got to be right. <laughs> Hopefully a little lubricant, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll leave that. And then, But the reason I think hygiene is more important is to inform the insights because bad hygiene, bad insights good hygiene, good insight. So once you've got the hygiene right, that's when you can actually achieve the stuff we've been talking about, understanding where in your business you make money, what segment you make money, what what uh, customers you make money on, what jobs you make money on, uh, how your labor is performing. Those are the things that you get. And those really should be like, when you're getting those insights, it should be two minutes to understand it. It shouldn't be looking at a set of financials you don't understand. That's hygiene. It's not for you. It was never designed with the entrepreneur in mind. Yet so many accountants, bookkeepers, we as an industry, and this is where I think we have failed, will hand you, the entrepreneur, a set of financials and then run the other direction and be like, have a good one. Yeah. And we're done. And then entrepreneurs are like, cool. And it ends up in the two review pile. And then when three or four of those have stacked up, then you throw away the one at the bottom of the two review pile and it's never been reviewed. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's a challenge, I think, for so many entrepreneurs and it, and I think it drives kind of some of the fear or some of the the disregard for it is because they've 
had it's just bad experiences. You know, they've they've been kind of dumped dumped on with these numbers, and they they're not helpful. And then it just becomes a lot of work and confusing. Yeah, Spencer, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, where can they get that information? Cool. So entrepreneurs.com, there's some really interesting free downloads, things like a few questions you can ask your bookkeeper to see if they're actually on top of things and doing a good job. If you ever want to consider outsourcing your accounting, there's a checklist there of questions you should ask, how to do diligence on an outsource. So there's a bunch of different, as well as lots of examples. So it's hard to do this in audio format because a lot of the work we do is visual, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's samples of a reporting package. You can look and see the types of stuff we were talking about today. So that's at entrepreneurs.com. I'm Spencer at shiftfinancial.co. And one thing I'm happy to offer, the first, we'll say, Five. I usually say three, but I've really enjoyed this. So I'll go with five people that that email Spencer at shiftfinancial.co and reference this podcast. What I'll do is if you're on QuickBooks Online or Zero, uh, we actually we've done our own software development because I hate reporting packages out of standard accounting systems. So we can actually suck your data into our system, and then I will have a one-on-one session with you uh, reviewing your data in the format that we're talking about. So that's an offer. The first five people that yeah, email in with just referencing this podcast, I'm happy to do that as a gift to you and your listeners. That'd be great. I'd encourage everyone to go check it out. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes here so people can click through. And just to clarify, it's spencerfinancial.co, not .com, and it's entrepreneurs.com. Uh, so the first one is .co, and the second one is .com. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So we'll just look, encourage listeners to look at the show notes. <laughs> go to go to the show notes. Go to our website and, and get the right link so you can get the get the Spencer. This has been a pleasure. I you know I just find this is such a critical issue for for so many companies, but certainly service companies. It's very abstract and, and it gives them a huge amount of insight. So I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.